This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda. And Brittany. Hello. Hi. So we just had a little discussion, and she was picking on me just a tad because I still have to read it every week. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have this memorized. And she, she said, N- I bet you do. Come on. Yep. <laughs> so I have it memorized. She has it memorized. <laughs> so it turns out I actually do know what it is, but <laughs> I had to test myself. It's been almost a year. It ha- You guys. It really has legit been almost a year in our Facebook memory. Stuff is popping up where we start announcing, you know, something big coming soon. Yep. Getting all nostalgic and stuff over here. It's exciting. Look how far we have come. Mm-hmm. Starting from little bitty old, let's do this for fun. Yeah. It has become a thing. It is a thing. A thing that people like. Thank you, guys. Apparently. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hump day. It's hump day. I love hump day. Yeah. We get to drink on hump day. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I can drink on any day. Well, yeah, but I mean, like... (laughs) uh, It's fully acceptable. Right, right. It's allowed. And it's episode 45. Mm Mm-hmm. Catholic Church crimes, crimes of the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, one of those. Yeah, something of the sort. Well, we each titled it differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, was that what we were supposed to call it?" On the topics list, it's crimes of the Catholic Church. But oh, I okay. Mean, <laughs> well, it works. Either I misunderstood way. the assignment. <laughs> it works either way. So yeah, episode forty-five, crimes of the Catholic Church. Hump day, I and brought hump day treat. Yeah, I brought wine. Yes, because um, Catholics drink. Yes, they drink wine. I and grew up Catholic. I can vouch for that. It's usually red, so that's what we have here. It's kind of red. <laughs> Technically, it's pink. It's Moscato, pretty dark, but you know it. It, it has been a trying week. So Baby girl, I bought it's okay. this 30 minutes ago, and this is what they had that I liked the taste of. So here we are. I'm to the point where I don't really think I would have cared what you showed up with. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been that kind of uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff going around. But um, here we are, and it's cheapo red red wine. It's cheapo <laughs> pink Moscato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you made it rhyme. It's Behringer from my Highland Liquor Store. I think that may become your um your regular. Dude, it's on the way. It's your cheers. <laughs> it's my cheers. <laughs> um, it's on the way and there's also two thrifty liquors on the way, but their parking lots are always full. And this tiny liquor store's parking lot is never full. Right. The most people I've seen in there was today and there was three people other than me in there. <laughs> yeah. Three. Oh, that's nice. And two of them rode together. So <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Ooh, tell your little story about how you picked it. Oh, okay. So I walk into the tiny little Highland liquor store. 
We have to take a picture of it. It's so cute. Uh, yeah, it's a little bitty place. And uh the little ponytail man was working again. That was there last time. And I walk in, and the first thing you see when you walk in is this shelf of wine. And so I walk in, and I'm looking, and it's all reds, like dark red table wine yeah, is we all don't I'm saying. And I don't like dry wine. Mm. And so I walk, and then I find some boxed wines, and I'm like, I'm not here for that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, no. So I kind of glance down the other aisles, and I don't see any wine. And so... He asked me, am I looking for anything? And I said, well, I'm kind of looking for, or he said, are you looking for anything in particular? Are you looking for like white wine? And I said, well, I'm looking for like a really sweet red. And he said, well, the white wines and there's some other stuff is in the cooler over there. And I'm like, well, that's probably the red wine I'm looking for is over there by the white wine. Yeah, we want the the stuff that has to be chilled. Yeah. (laughs) So I start walking over there and then I'm not paying him any more attention He's walking around the store, a couple customers come in, and so I find what I want, and I walk up to the counter at the same time he's walking up to the counter, and he's like, oh, you found something, and I'm like, yeah, and he said, well, I got this for you, and I was like, that little man just walked around the store and found a bottle of sweet red for me, so I bought both bottles of wine. How sweet is that? Yeah, that was so that's, nice, that's so thing. thank you, Ponytail Man from the Highland Liquor Store. <laughs> <laughs> Even if we ever find out your name, you're still going to be Ponytail You'll Man. You'll be Ponytail Man. And thank you so much for that. That was so yeah, sweet. that was so nice. So now I have an extra like bottle of wine. Huh? <laughs> like he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You never Thanks. know. You never know. He might be. He might be. Yeah, he's not listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but since you are listening and you probably want to see pictures and things to go along with our cases, go to the social media stuffs. Yes. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Oddities and Curiosities Podcast. Just search that. And yeah. pop up. We pop up. So do that. Um, go rate and review us. Yeah, do that. That's also important. That is important. Go to Apple. That's the important That's one. the key. And we just found out that Facebook in June is going to stop posting our podcast series. Yeah, it, not just us. Like, no, like everybody. In general. You podcast won't be able everybody. to listen to podcasts on Facebook anymore. I don't. So like that's it. lame. I know. Sorry for our Facebook listeners. I know that was really convenient. Yeah. So, but we're in many, many, many other places. Oh, you, you can find us everywhere. All right. What else? That's all I got. That's all I got too. Okay. I think. Let's just give them what they want. Well, let's just talk about some atrocities of the Catholic Church, huh? (laughs) Yes, let's. (laughs) Because there's so many. Yeah. So, um, just to give y'all a heads up about my story. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of parts that are pretty sad and hard to listen to. That's why I didn't go into detail about those parts. But... This is a very Googleable. <laughs> it's a very Googleable topic. Um, there's a lot of historical facts and stuff. There's a plethora of things. So if you want to know more, it's out there. But some of the sadder things I didn't go into detail. Okay. So. I respect it. But I am doing the Magdalene Asylums. Ooh. So some people say Magdalene, some it's uh, Magdalene. I don't know. Uh, Magdalene is what I've always said. Same. So 
So the first Magdalen Asylum in Ireland opened in 1765, following the opening of the very first asylum in general Mm. in 1758 in Whitechapel, England. So 1758, first asylum ever. 1765, the Magdalen Asylum Asylum opened. I can. I love that little tidbit of information that the first asylum. Yeah, 1758. We now know that. You are welcome. I found that fact and I stuck it in there. I love it. These institutions were named after Mary Magdalene, who was a biblical character thought to be a sex worker, in case you don't know who she I was. I love her. I'm just saying. So I have a picture of Mary yes. Magdalene. I, I Googled famous paintings of Mary Magdalene. Oh, no. <laughs> and I picked a very tasteful one. Okay. <laughs> it's called um, Mary Magdalene. I see it. So, in oh, most of them, she looks very uh, homely and somber. Uh-huh. And in this one, she's posing with her shoulder hanging out. Oh, she's beautiful. Showing um, her, I guess, trying to, you know, let you see how slutty she is. And a skull next to her. Because, I, I love that she's propped on a, a skull. Yeah. So, um, here's a depiction. <laughs> it's. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Just for funsies. 100% A plus, (laughs) ma'am. Thanks. (laughs) So um, these asylums were run by the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland, and the young women were guarded by sisters of a number of different orders. Ireland's first such institution, the Magdalene Asylum for Penitent Females in Dublin, Mm -hmm. was founded by the Protestant Church of Ireland. So the first one was Protestant, but from then on, it was Roman Catholic. Okay. It's like they sort of took the idea and ran with it. At the time, there was a worry that sex work in Irish cities was on the rise and that, quote unquote, wayward women Mm. who had been seduced, had sex outside of marriage or gotten pregnant out of wedlock were susceptible to becoming sex workers. It was spreading like wildfire. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. These wayward women. It's my favorite kind of woman. (laughs) Soon, parents began to send their unmarried daughters to the institutions to hide pregnancies. Initially, a majority of women entered voluntarily and served out multi-year terms where they learned a respectable profession. Respectable. Mm -hmm, So they say. (laughs) Okay. The idea was that they'd use these skills to earn money after being released. Sure. Okay. So... Let me take a sip, because that was lots of words. That was a lot of words. She made it through it. I did it. Congrats. <laughs> so <laughs> She even raised her hand. <laughs> I did it. I did it. <laughs> Grotesquely overworked, starved, and physically abused, this was the fate of some 30,000 women Whoa. whose care was entrusted to nuns in Ireland's Magdalene Asylums, also known as Magdalene Laundries. And uh, throughout most of the story, I will call them the Laundries. Okay. These institutions were set up during the 18th century to house sex workers and other so-called fallen women or wayward women, uh-huh. but quickly became places of cruelty and hardship. Shocker. Soon, any woman and girls as young as nine sometimes, <gasps> branded as undesirable by the church, could be held in one of these places. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Mm. Okay. It gets so much worse. Uh, okay. It now gets I, so much I worse. I just realized why it's so sensitive. Okay. 
For over 200 years, unmarried mothers, women deemed promiscuous, or those who defied their husbands or fathers could find themselves locked up in one of the asylums. You know, (laughs) we'd have been in trouble. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Others um, had learning difficulties, Mm. were too much of a burden on their families, or had been the victims of sexual assault. Some were sent there for being too pretty. Okay. (laughs) They were too desirable. They were a distraction to other men. Right. These women and girls would stay institutionalized for a number of years, but more often than not, they were trapped for life. Women sent there were expected to redeem themselves through lace making, needlework, or doing laundry, which is why they were called laundries. They did lots of, lots of fabric work. Like it said, you know, um, doing laundry, lace making, needlework, like they did, um, upholstering things and quilting and, and okay, all, you know, okay. They were learning skills that were appropriate for women of that time. Yeah. That's why I'm sitting over here just going, you can call it whatever you want. Because, um, you know, that's what women are for. Mm-hmm. Well, especially in the late 1700s, mm-hmm. that's what they were for. But um, with the ways that women could get, I don't know if y'all noticed when I was talking about the ways that they could get institutionalized in one of these places. Yeah. Were much like the ways that women in America got institutionalized in the early 1900s. Yeah. For stuff like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. For just whatevs. <laughs> Uh, she's crazy. Mm-hmm. Women were given a new name and identity, including an identification number. Mm. Even though they've committed no crimes, women of the Magdalene laundries were locked away. They had no rights, no visits, and no independence. Oh. They worked long hours without pay, performing grueling manual labor six or seven days a week, and suffered severe emotional, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of those that were supposed to be helping and protecting them. So, real Great. quick, I have a picture. Um, it's labeled yard work. This is a picture of some of the girls doing manual labor out in the yard of oh, one of no. these Magdalene laundries. Oh, no. No, no. No, no. Yeah, they out there digging. There's, of course, a man standing there supervising with his hands on his hips. Most of the time, it was nuns. But I'm assuming a priest was hanging out that day. I don't know. Sure he was. Looks like he's checking out her ass. But just saying. Doesn't it look like they're in a prison yard? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I did not know any information about this photo, I would definitely say that that was a Mm -hmm. woman's prison. It looks like a prison yard. Mm -hmm. Nope, that's church property. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So the women were usually given no information as to when or whether or not they would even be released. Of course not. Many women recall being instructed not to speak about their home place or family. A rule of silence was enforced at almost all times in Magdalene laundries and friendships were forbidden. Their hair was cut and their clothes were taken away and replaced with a uniform. Correspondence with the outside was often intercepted or forbidden. Visits by friends or family were not encouraged and were monitored by nuns when they did occur. Many times the little family they did have were not told about their whereabouts. So they couldn't. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, so they couldn't get visits anyway because. Wow. Their family wasn't sure exactly where they were. Okay. Yeah. That's so messed up on so many levels. Mm-hmm. No friendships, no talking, no nothing. Of, co- of course they're going to. Oh, I mean, that's just going to make it so much worse. Poor babies. I know. And in the beginning, 
a lot of this was voluntary. Like if a woman was sexually abused and got pregnant, she would yeah, go to one of these places. Haven. Yeah. But then she'd never get to leave. Right. They were going for sanctuary she, yeah. and she was stuck there or their families would put them there because they, you know, they had a learning disability. And so they would, they didn't know how to deal with that. So they'd stick them in the institution right. I mean, and it's awful. Ignorance is mm-hmm. bliss. Um, <laughs> they just didn't know any better. Yeah. So I'll, yeah. Well, we've learned in the beginning, in the beginning. So, yeah, this started, these opened up in the 1700s, but that's not... Oh, I know. It continued. Oh, it continued. Oh, yeah. And got worse. The so. last one closed in the 1990s. It was the 1990s. We'll get to it. Yes. Uh, some pregnant women were transferred to homes for unwed mothers where they gave birth and temporarily lived with their babies and worked in conditions similar to those of the laundries. So, even there... Well, all that was good except for the working conditions. Yeah. Babies were usually taken from their mothers and handed over to other families. So they were given up for adoption. Mm. In one of the most notorious homes, the Bon Secours, Secours? I like Secours. (laughs) Mother and baby home in Tuam, many babies died. Oh. I have a picture of this building. Ooh. So you can kind of see what it looks like. Bon Secours. Oh, it's it's a happy little place. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so cheerful. Looks like an and 1800s institution. Yes, it does. It looks like an asylum. It's totally got to be haunted. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? It's totally haunted. <laughs> I um, mean, when you say asylum, haunting. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's almost the same word. And this is the part where I'm just going to let you know I'm grazing over the rest of this. And then we'll get back to the bulk of the story. Okay, ma'am. Thank you for the warning. So in 2014, remains of at least 796 babies were found in a septic tank in the home's yard. 2014? Mm -hmm. Reports show that they suffered malnutrition and neglect, which caused the deaths of many, while others died of measles, convulsions, TB, gastroenteritis, Uh and pneumonia. The facility is still being investigated to reconstruct the story of what actually happened there. Oh, my God. So that building we just looked at, that's where they found almost 800 baby remains. So. Now the image of that building just became so. Mm hmm. That's why I didn't have anything more to say about it. Okay. So after 1922, the Magdalene Laundries were operated by four religious orders, the Sisters of Mercy, the Sisters of Our Lady of Charity, the Sisters of Charity, mm. which what is the difference in that? There's and, no lady in it. And the Good Shepherd <laughs> Sisters in 10 different locations around Ireland. Even with these institutions being run by the church, they were also widely accepted and supported by the Irish government. Good. Not only were there women and girls being sent there by their families, there were also those who came from psychiatric facilities and prisons. So they started uh, they started they, merging them together yep. in the 20s. Great. So we had people that were probably normal to begin with, mm-hmm. and then they mixed them with psychiatric patients and prisoners. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. The government then shoveled money into the asylums in exchange for housing these women and for their laundry services and needle work provided by the inmates there. So I've got a picture of women doing laundry in one of these facilities. Look at all those ladies. Hell no. Shoved in there. You know how hot it is ironing, in there? 
you know they're ironing like old men's underwear and stuff like uh, uh, all the priest stuff mm-hmm. all, oh gross sheets there was another picture of young girls like uh preteens and teenagers folding like big giant bed sheets oh no yeah there were so many pictures i had to like i had to nitpick wow yeah uh But whatever the reasons these women and girls were sent to the Magdalene laundries, the state had duties to all of them. The government was supposed to prevent them from being held against their will, not to exploit or benefit from their forced labor, and to care for these women and girls in terms of their rights to a safe workplace, to social welfare, and to an education. Well, Well, somebody dropped the ball. Obviously, that's not being uh, watched very closely. Mm -mm. Where is your manager? (laughs) Let me speak to your manager. This is unacceptable. (laughs) Karens of the world unite. (laughs) That's when they're needed. Mm -hmm. Okay. I agree. Mm -hmm. Punishments for refusal to work included depriving them of meals, solitary confinement, physical abuse, forced kneeling for long periods, or humiliation rituals, including shaving of hair. Well, all of that just totally violates everything that was in the last sentence in the paragraph above. Oh, yeah. Okay. Survivors speak of constantly being under surveillance, being verbally insulted, feeling cold, having a poor diet, and enduring humiliating and inadequate hygiene conditions. None of the girls received an education, which I'm not surprised. (sighs) Yeah. Because why make them smarter? I have so many <laughs> thoughts, but there are no words because mm-hmm. it's just so I'm, I'm processing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You, you keep processing. Mm-hmm. It was common for the girls and women to believe that they would die inside. Many did. For example, comparisons of electoral registers against grave records at one location shows that over half of the women on electoral registries between 1954 and 1964 died in that institution. Wow. Over half of them in the, wow. a 10-year span. Yeah. If girls or women escaped, maybe in the back of a laundry van or out of an open door at delivery or collection time or by scaling a wall, they were often captured and returned. The nuns punished escapees by transferring them to a different Magdalene laundry. If and when a girl or woman was released, it was without warning, without money, and with the only clothes that she was wearing. I was about to ask, did, did anybody ever leave that place rarely and when they did it was literally like okay you're done there you go (laughs) yep some of them were given jobs in other institutions run by nuns but many of them fled abroad as soon as they could i wouldn't go work for nuns anymore oh hell no if i saw Mm -mm. a nun i would run (laughs) ptsd motherfuckers Uh uh-uh peace out bitches Mm mm-hmm During the 20th century, rumors circulated about the abuse happening in Ireland's Magdalene Asylums, but those survivors who did speak about their experiences there were often shamed or ignored. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I hate victim shaming. (laughs) And it's done in so many different scenarios. Well, and sometimes people don't even realize that they're doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's sad. It, it, it bothers me mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. The public did not believe that institutions run by the church would allow such terrible treatment of the women and children under their protection. Mm-hmm. Many, many survivors would not specify what went on in the laundries. So sadly, details are scarce. You know, it makes me really, really, really upset. Mm-hmm. 
when people do that. Well, he's a church pastor. He couldn't do that. Uh huh. You know, they're a good family. Let your kid go spend the night over there. They're a good family. He's a deacon at the church. She uh-huh. teaches Sunday school. Yeah. That doesn't mean shit. How many stories have we done about ladies that teach mm-hmm. Sunday school or pastors mm-hmm. or deacons or there was a case in like local here uh-huh. not that long ago of a man who was a deacon at the church mm-hmm. and his wife was involved with the youth or something and his teenage daughter was yep. having sleepovers and the dad, Mr. Deacon was yep. filming them changing in the bathroom. Yep. I remember Y'all. that one. But anywho, I'm just saying just because somebody goes to church or holds some sort of um, religious position, that doesn't mean anything because no, you never know what's They're going on inside being. somebody's head. Right. They're still a human. They can show you what they want to all day long, but you don't know what's going on upstairs. Everybody you, can. Yeah. Hello, Facebook. Right. <laughs> I mean, social media is proof. Seriously, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. People let you see what they want you to see. But anywho... Off my soapbox. No, it's fine. (laughs) Totally valid point. So it wasn't until the discovery of a mass grave at Our Lady of Charity Convent in Dublin that the media became involved and printed articles questioning what was going on at the asylums. So I have a picture. No. You do not. It's just of the asylum, Our Lady of Charity. Oh, God, I thought it was a picture of the mass grave. I'm like, girl. No. No. Okay. I don't have anything that cool. (laughs) I mean, it would probably just be a hill. Yeah. Like my mounds at Moundsville. (laughs) Right. No, this is Our Lady of whatever. Our Lady of whatever the fuck. Yeah, I can't remember which one I just said. Our Lady of some sort of charity. Something. <laughs> but that's that. That's where. That's where we. Well, at least they have flowers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Our Lady of Charity Convent by the bodies. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, woman! That's terrible. I didn't do it. I didn't bury him there, and I didn't plant a rose oh, bush you're on serious. top. No, I'm oh. <laughs> making assumptions. Oh. When I tell you how many bodies. Surely a body has hit that spot of the ground at some point. I'm sure some part has. So when the sisters decided to sell some land they owned to pay their debts in 1992, the nuns followed the proper procedures. Well, good. Mm-hmm. They at least petitioned they did it some time. Mm-hmm. They petitioned officials for permission to move the bodies of women buried in the cemetery, but it was no ordinary resting place. Inside were the bodies of unknown women. Their lives and later their deaths had been covered in secrecy. Alarmingly, 155 bodies were found in the grave, but only 75 death certificates had been issued. The nuns claimed there had been a clerical error. Hmm. That's a big clerical error. Right? Right? But there was a public outcry, obviously. Yeah. And ultimately, the United Nations called for an official inquiry. Thank you. Good job. Suddenly, women began reading about violations against human rights and making statements about the abuse they had suffered. Karens unite. (laughs) (laughs) Educating themselves and speaking out. Good Mm -hmm. job, ladies. Once again, your case is making me drink. (laughs) So, uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about some survivors. Okay. Marina Gambold was placed in a laundry by her local priest. I have a picture of her. 
So this is what she looks like now. It says Marina. Hi there. Oh, with her beautiful little pink scarf. I know. I love it. I love the, it's like corally pink with the gray coat. I love the color combo. Good job, Marina. She did a good job. I love her. She She is precious. You know what? She's a little trendy. She's so cute. I love her. (laughs) She is cute. I want to hang out. Let's talk. (laughs) I'm going to tell you some stuff she said. I'm sure she could tell you a lot of stories. Yeah. She talked about being forced to eat off the floor oh. after breaking a cup and getting locked outside in the cold for a minor mishap. Oh, this is the survivor conversations. Yes. Okay, great. I, I thought maybe. No, nope, no, nope. nope. we're jumping right into it, baby. Okay. She was made to work 10 hours a day and fed only bread on the floor. Yeah, off the floor. Mary Smith was placed <gasps> in the Sunday's Well Laundry in Cork. Sunday's Well Laundry. That's such a weird name for like. Yeah. <laughs> in Cork, like the name of a bar. <laughs> yeah. In Cork, Ireland, uh, after being sexually assaulted. Oh. So I have a picture of Mary Smith now. Okay. It says Mary Smith. But you can tell um this poor baby she had a rough She had one. some rough stuff. She had a rough go. Yeah. Nuns there told her they would look after her in case she became pregnant. So she'd been sexually assaulted and she went there for help. Yeah, like she went to them for help, and they were like, okay, we're going to look after you just in case you got pregnant. We got you, baby. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Child. They say, don't they say child? Oh, child, <laughs> yeah. Once inside, her hair was cut off, and she was stripped of her identity. She was forced to work in silence and to sleep in the cold. Mary does not remember how long she was there because of the abuse she suffered. Wow. So, like, time stood still for this poor woman. One survivor, known only as Bridget, remembered being taken by the nuns to see a lady who was dying. Bridget was only 16 when the nuns said to her, quote, Do you see this? She has never done anything, and she is suffering in agony for your sins. End the quote. fuck? Huh. <laughs> Traumatizing. <sighs> they, oh, my goodness. Another woman who had survived the same laundry in Cork. So we're still talking about this Sunday Wells laundry. Same happy place. Yeah. Said she was forced to spend all night in a room with a dead body. Oh, my God. She described nuns humiliating girls who had wet the bed by wrapping their wet sheets around them and making them kneel on the dormitory floor with a sign on their back saying, Dirty, filthy, lazy girl. Well, they're wetting the bed because they're so freaking traumatized. From the abuse. Oi. Partly due to the outcry that followed the discovery of the mass grave, the last Magdalene Asylum closed its doors in 1996. Oh, my God. That's mm-hmm. way too recent. Mm-hmm. Of the 40 women discovered there, most were elderly or had learning disabilities. Sadly, nine of them had no known living relatives. And of those nine, they all decided to stay with the nuns because they had nowhere else to go. Oh, that's so sad. That yeah. my heart. While religious institutions remained silent, a long public campaign began resulting in what's called the McAleese Report, which detailed the abuse of 10,000 women in the Magdalene Asylums between 1922 and 1996. The Irish government finally issued a formal apology in 2013 and set up a fund for survivors. The Irish Prime Minister, Enda Kenny. Ooh, I like it. Enda. Enda. 
spoke in front of Parliament and apologized for what he called a national shame. Oh, he? Yeah. Okay. Named Enda. I love that. It, that's definitely different. Yeah. Kenny's speech was followed by a standing ovation for him and the 20 survivors who were there. Many religious groups that ran the asylums refused to contribute to the fund and have turned away researchers looking for more information. Several groups are still campaigning for a public memorial for survivors and for compensation for children born to inmates of the asylums. So the church is refusing to acknowledge what happened and they are refusing to contribute. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> To anything, monetarily, informationally, they're not contributing anything. That speaks volumes. Oh, yeah. I have so many issues. In the words of my four-year-old, oh, no, nah, nah. boy. <laughs> I need you to record him saying that. Oh, my God. Dude, he says it all the time now. Oh, I need you to nah, get it. boy. Because <laughs> it's super cute the way that you say it's it. It's so great. So I can't wait to hear him say that. <laughs> yeah, tiny four-year-old voice. Get it. Yeah. Sorry, I had to divert no. on that. Uh, so many fucking issues with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Well, and mm-hmm. contributes to why I feel the way I do about religion in general. Yeah, like, oh, she, that girl that was like, oh, she's dying for your sins. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not, believe in that. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian, and I know that that's not how that works in Christianity. <laughs> that was a fucked up thing to say. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. The atrocities committed by the laundries in Ireland are depicted in the 2002 movie The Magdalene Sisters. Oh, good. A similar situation is presented in the 2013 movie Philomena, starring Judy Dench. Okay. In which a young teenage girl who becomes pregnant is sent to a convent where she gives birth to a son she is forced to give up for adoption, while she must stay behind and work in the convent's laundry. Mm. Both films are based on true stories. I kind of want to watch them. I kind of want to watch them, but I kind of don't. Oh, I, I really feel like I need to. I have pictures of both the movies. The posters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, she's cute. Yeah, she's in a bunch of stuff, but I can't think of anything. I don't know, but I do right recognize now. her face. But they look really good. I okay. Mean, it'll probably be sad. Uh, well, but yeah. I feel like I need to, I feel like I need to watch. I mean, we watch all these documentaries and stuff. So, yeah, let's, let's educate ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's all I got. It's so sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was sad, but it's something I'd never heard that's of something before. Something that needs to get out there. It's a big thing. That's I a big thing, and nobody's took, heard of it. They didn't find all that stuff until what did you say, 2014? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love that something is being done about it, but it just breaks my heart that all that had to happen. Over 200 years. Yeah. I mean, that's... Over 200 years. And that the fact that the Catholic churches or the Catholic asylums now are refusing to have anything to do with it, just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, it's very unfortunate. I don't know. Hopefully, um, good will overcome the evil on that one. Hmm. Hmm. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Here we go. My case is on the ninja killer. Did you misunderstand the assignment? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I know I said that, but I really didn't. I I really got one. I'm intrigued. Okay. (laughs) I was too when I saw the title. You know, I'm a sucker for the Mm -hmm. headlines. Yeah, the ninja killer. So I was like, okay, let me read into this one. I have never heard this one before either. Um, I do have a warning down below. It gets a little graphic. Okay. And... This one was super hard to find a lot of info about. Okay. One of the articles was presented as a story. Mm-hmm. It was facts, but um, so I kept a little bit of it because it was really well written. Okay. I think it was from the Daily Record. Okay. Um, but anyways, it's it's just too good to try to interpret into my own words. So there you go. Okay. Here we go. Sister Josephine Ogilvie was a member of the Society of the Sacred Heart and an internationally renowned teaching order of nuns. She taught in Armagh Craig Lockhart in Edinburgh at Kilgraston in Perthshire before settling in Aberdeen in 1983. I did it all you in one did take. It. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> <laughs> I told her before we started, I was like, the second sentence has a lot of names in it. (laughs) Anyways, so she taught at primary school level before she was appointed to a religious education advisor for the Diocese of Aberdeen. And can't say simple words. In In (laughs) that position, she traveled throughout the diocese, visiting primary schools and engaging with the pupils. She was a delightful, kind woman who never saw fit to lose her temper or raise her voice, (laughs) even though she was once titled the Mistress of Discipline in Armagh. (laughs) Okay. I mean, she just had her shit together. Yeah. Okay, ma'am. She had silver hair, glasses, a twinkle in her eye, and a wry sense of humor. More than that, she was exceptionally gifted in reaching kids no matter how bad their situations all right. I kind of love her. Good job, ma'am. Early on, the kids dubbed her Sister Josie, and it was adopted by everyone, even the bishop. Sister Josie, the warm, familiar name, suited her. Everyone was going to miss her so much. Everyone except her killer. All right. Here we go. Here we go. On Friday, May 6, 1988, she was working in her office, now called the Pastoral Center, which was situated in an outer room adjacent to St. Mary's Roman Catholic Cathedral. Okay. I have a photo of the cathedral. Oh. I don't have many photos for y'all this time. I dug and dug, and this is what I came up with. But there's a picture of the cathedral. What a pretty picture. Isn't that gorgeous? Yes. I kind of want to go. Yeah, I like it. And now that I know that a murder happened there, it makes it even better. We should toads go. Um, I have a picture of the altar inside as well. Go ahead and click on that. Isn't it pretty? You got to zoom in on that. Like, it's really gorgeous. I like it. Mm -hmm. I love all the detail. Like, inside Catholic churches are always so gorgeous, though. Mm -hmm. Most of them. Some are kind of (laughs) plain. The one I went to as a kid was kind of (laughs) plain. It was good, but it was fine. Anyways. (laughs) So, the office shared a lobby with the apartment of another nun from another order, Sister Mary McDonald, who happened to be the diocesan social worker and who was not present at the time. 
That day, around 3 p.m., Mark Reynolds, who had previously met with Sister Mary with long-standing drug and alcohol abuse issues. Mm-hmm. That day, he visited the cathedral with tragic consequences for Sister Ogilvy. Here's my little story. Here's where it comes in. It's so cute. Okay. I will wait, said the scary-looking man with the Scouse accent. She's not in, said the caretaker, for the umpteenth time. And you can't wait here. The young bloke sat down on a chair in the corridor outside the social worker's office door. He looked strange. It wasn't just his shaven head, big stud in his nose, and his earrings. You know, like lots of kids dressed that way in 1988. No biggie. But he seemed manic, half-crazed, and he was stinking of booze. The caretaker, Felix Graham, might have been almost 70, but he was an ex-boxer and he could handle himself. All right. Get it, Felix. He knew better than to create a ruckus in that place of peace. The pastoral center was there to help people. So he'd leave the young man to cool down and he'd soon get bored enough, right? Mm-hmm. A short while later, Father Colin Stewart returned to the pastoral center at St. Mary's Roman Catholic Cathedral in Huntley Street, Aberdeen. <laughs> He was busy, so he just went directly to his office. But the door was stuck. Father Stewart pushed harder, and it gave away just a little bit, but but something forced it to push back, slamming it shut. Someone was holding the door from the other side. A burglar was, you know, what he was really thinking, and he rushed to Mr. Graham for help. Downstairs, the two were just in time to see the same young man clamber down a fire escape, run through the backyard, and up and over the high wall. If he had looked strange before, he positively looked terrifying now. Naked to the waist, he was carrying his clothes in his hands. His chest and face were smeared with blood. Sister Josie, shouted Father Stewart, running towards the office they shared. Is she in? Like, is she even there? (laughs) sister Josie lay on her back crucifixion style almost naked covered in dark blue bruises purple bite marks and blood Mm. and she was deceased the cops were there in a flash everyone in the city knew sister Josie and her good works besides you know I mean who would want to murder a nun in a cathedral apart from a madman Right? Right. Someone very dangerous was out there, and they had to get that ninja weirdo quick. The cops sprang into action, closing off the entire area in record time. Thanks to Father Stewart and Felix Graham, they had a reasonable description of the man and they were that they were hunting and knew that he had a Scouse accent. Within two hours, they had a breakthrough. Sweet. Um, a guy of that description had been seen buying booze from a local licensed grocer. The cops hit a guest house at nearby D Place and weren't too polite about it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know more about that. Like, yeah. what'd they say then? But anyways, they found Mark Reynolds sitting in his underwear, eating curry leftovers as his clothes sloshed around in the washing machine. And his face and chest were still splattered with blood. Because, you know, he worked up an appetite. Yeah. I mean, I generally don't wash the blood off me before I eat my curry. Right. Because <laughs> it just makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Who went to Arby's? There was another case that we had. Like, it was a bunch of kids, and they killed somebody, and then they went to Arby's, I think. Oh, yeah, that was the sacrifice. <laughs> sacrifice one. Oh, carnival crimes. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. my God. 
Yeah, you know, apparently it's a thing. More cup of appetite. <laughs> Reynolds, 23, was charged with Sister Josie's murder. He wasn't arguing, though. Instead, he was blaming drugs, LSD, and dope. Mm. I have a newspaper clipping okay. of his arrest. Um, there he is up at the top left. I see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hooked on drugs since childhood. Too dangerous to let out is the big headline. And yeah. it's all about him. Yep. There him is. Mark Reynolds. The right. ninja killer. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but a couple of days later, banged up in prison, he'd tell a warder, I got up this morning and I realized I was a murderer. That I had strangled someone. Sir. I don't know. Maybe he actually felt remorse. No, he didn't. I, there's no context to how he said it. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I was just told the statement and I don't like that part. But he was actually a lot more than that. Postmortem on Sister Josie revealed some pretty horrific injuries. And there were quite a few. 60 separate injuries in total. Mm. According to the coroner, her body was in a similar state to those involved in a serious road traffic accident. That is awful. And he wasn't even in there that long. Nope. Okay. Ugh. Here's the warning um, with what he did. Okay. All right. He punched and kicked her, trampled on her, jumped on her, stabbed her, bit and strangled her, cut her with scissors. Ooh. And then he raped her. Half of her ribs were smashed and ears sliced off, her spine fractured, and her neck almost broken. Oh, my gosh. The only saving grace that Sister Josie had was that she died early in the assault from a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah. That is... Wow, that's insane. Yep. Um, The funeral was held the following Thursday, coincidentally Ascension Thursday that year. The the cathedral was packed with over a thousand mourners. A thousand people. Mm. Over a thousand. I have a photo of her grave. She must have been just as fabulous as she sounds. Yeah. You know, I mean, they always say they lit up a room and they, Mm -hmm. you know, they were such an amazing person, but she legit actually was. But did they have a thousand mourners? Did they? I don't know, but she Mm did. (laughs) I'll be lucky if I get like 10. (laughs) (laughs) She's down at the bottom left. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's just a like I don't I don't think they're all buried right there. I think it's just a memorial. Like a, really. That's what I was fixing to say. Yeah. I don't think that's a headstone necessarily, more of a memorial. Okay. That's pretty cool though. Yeah, but I titled the photo grave. So there you go. All right. The public, regardless of religion, wanted to lynch Reynolds. Me too. Mm -hmm. Her good friend and colleague, Father Stewart, reflected sadly on how Sister Josie was weeks away from moving to a new position in Edinburgh, the city of her birth. Bishop of Aberdeen, Mario Conti, now Archbishop of Glasgow, appealed for calm and forgiveness. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. At his trial at the High Court in Aberdeen on August 23, 1988, a series of psychiatrists, including one from the State Hospital of at Carstairs, said Mark Reynolds was mentally ill. In fact, he had been diagnosed as schizophrenic in 1982 and prescribed very heavy-duty drugs. The problem was he didn't always take them 
but he would often dope himself up on LSD or hash. Okay, well, that's smart. Right. The night before the killing, he had stayed up all night smoking, downing handfuls of painkillers, and watching sadistic videos. Friday Good combination, night. right? <laughs> Friday night. <laughs> Hell yeah. Go hard or go home. <laughs> Get this shit. He was a former altar boy. Mm, which is probably why there was so much anger towards the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit, can we say? We're just going to assume, okay? Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so he had some, some weird ideas. He considered himself a true follower of the band Japanese martial art ninjutsu and had the black outfit, red headband, and weapons. He often paraded around in his get-up for all the world to see him as a true ninja warrior. <laughs> Dude, all I am picturing right now is the Foot Clan from Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> He's part of the Foot. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Walking around with his sword and his nunchucks. I cannot. And like, oh, can I cannot. you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, this man. <laughs> Who is this Mortal Kombat looking bro walking around? <laughs> I cannot. Get back. Go away. <laughs> so anyway. So he was uh, sent to the state hospital without a limit of time. Mm, smart. Yeah. Everyone in Scotland had been watching this trial carefully. And not just from outrage that a gentle nun had been killed so brutally. A few years before, the Tory government had decided many mentally ill people previously in hospitals were to be treated in their own homes. People started freaking out because was this the way of the future? Like, what would that mean? Would they have to put up with dangerous killers like right next door? Uh, yeah. You I know? Don't like it. I don't like I don't. Yeah. Me neither. Um, so the public were furious as well as scared. But Colm was on its way. Reynolds had drifted in from Liverpool on his own, as they originally assumed. In fact, his mother, a kindly, caring Christian woman, had moved to Aberdeen thinking it would get him away from drug dealers down south. Oh, my goodness. Bishop Conti went into overdrive talking and preaching about peace and forgiveness. Sister Josie's rosary beads were presented to Reynolds' mother. No, ma'am. It was no, what the no, good no. nun have wanted. No, she would not have. Fuck that. No, 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 no. no. I, mm, I'm too bitter. I'm too bitter. The message got through. What happened that day wasn't about murder, but about forgiveness. Even after her death, Sister Josie's work went on. She continued to touch so many people. Touched everyone who knew her, except perhaps Mark Reynolds, the ninja killer. I cannot. I, yep, I know you're taught to forgive, okay? I know that, and in um, the church, you're taught if you don't forgive, that's a sin as well, so you'll carry that with you, and all that kind of bullshit. Okay. Um, yada, yada, yada. I, to each his own, man. I mean, I'm not saying never forgive people. It is. It does relieve a burden. I will mm -hmm. say that. Maybe. Because that person should not take up space in your mind. But at the same time, if it was something that drastic, 
something that caused you that much trauma as well as in your cases. But I, that that's hard to just say, oh, let it go. You know, oh, just shove it down. No, you'll be fine. Just Mm-mm. that's that's a hard thing to try to live a daily life dealing with those things that happen to you. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Well, yeah, this episode was fucked. I, I tried to lighten it up a little bit with the ninja thing. There but was some ninja stuff. Yeah. Um, that's always cool. Right? I like ninjas. Teenage Mutant Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles. Yeah. No, no. When I when I think of Ninja Turtles, I think of the 90s movies of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. And I think of Vanilla Ice singing ninja rap. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think of Teenage Mutant Ninja oh Turtles theme song. Steven, play the ninja rap. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja, go ninja, go. <laughs> That's what I think of. Oh my god, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was fun. Here we go. Another douche box entry. Goody. May 11th. Okay. Daniel Owen Conahan Jr. Born. <laughs> That's so much. <laughs> Born May 11th, 1954, is a convicted American murderer and suspected serial killer. Conaham was convicted of one murder, but has been linked to over a dozen murders, mostly of homosexual men in the Charlotte County, Florida area, and what came to be known as... Oh, no. <laughs> as the Hog Trail Murders. Oh, my... Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Why? Does it say why? I think that's all it wants me to have. It is. That's all it wants me to have. That's it. Okay. Um, That's it. So he has been convicted of one murder, linked to over a dozen. At least 12. Okay. uh, Mostly of homosexual men in Florida. Go figure. Uh, And was known as the Hog Trail Murders. I'm going to need some elaboration. I need to Google that one. (sighs) All right. Well... There you go, Mr. Conahan Jr. Douchebox for you, good sir. They always have, like, really long names. Mm-hmm. I'm Googling. Okay. <laughs> oh, he has the glasses! Fuck. Google him. Or you can Google him on your own. Oh, he ha- he does. He's he has got glasses. the fucking glasses. Oh, my goodness. And the picture of him in the striped shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fuck. Uh, we need to start Googling these people, like, every time. So, wow. This is fantastic, y'all. If nothing else, Google a picture of him. It's worth it. Woo-hoo! It's kind of fucked up. It happened in the 90s. Yep. They were horrifically tortured. Yeah. And sexually assaulted. Some even even having their genitals mutilated and removed. Oh, I just read that. Yikes. You Ooh, get your own God. little spot in oh, the douche box, God. my bro. Oh, Lord. Okay, stop scrolling. Stop scrolling. I gotta stop. All right, well, that was fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's no it. I think that's all we got. Yep. Um, we have no extras. Thank you for joining us this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Morning, noon, whenever, whenever you, you listen. <laughs> Um, happy humping. Happy humping. Hope you can after that horrific episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just shove it aside. Just push it down. You'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> We're all fine. Mm-hmm. We're all mad here and I like it. <laughs>
Yeah. Great reviews. Yeah. Well, then we're leaving. Toodles. Toodles. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout-out to Stephen Goetzke for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Higgins for art. We'll talk at you next week.